Hi, I'm Lucas James. And I'm Jordan Ross. And I'm AJ Casada. And we're the co-hosts of How to Scale an Agency. After scaling our own agencies to over $185,000 per month in sales and working with agencies doing hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue like Hawk Media and Neil Patel, we've made this show to interview the top digital marketing agency owners and highlight the fastest ways to scale your agency. If you would like to join a community of like-minded agency owners and scale your business while doing so, go to eightfigureagency.co forward slash call to explore options on how we can help you scale your agency. What is good, agency owners? Welcome back to How to Scale an Agency. Today, we got awesome conversation. Someone I have a deep admiration and respect for. One of our keynote speakers at 8F Live coming October of 2023. This is Charles Jolly, founder of Tin Van. This guy has built and sold five businesses. He is now acquiring businesses. He's an investor. And he's just an overall really good dude. Um, really good guy. I really enjoy his presence. So, Charles, thanks for coming on and hanging out with me. And thanks for being one of our keynotes next month. Thanks for having me. Always enjoy chatting with you. Ah, you are too kind. I don't know if I'm worth that. But let me ask you, for anyone that doesn't know you, like I just threw out some really cool things. Built and sold five companies. You've had your last exit was the most successful. There's some really significant volume behind what you've done. Who is Charles Jolly? Like, What's the high-level overview of like the, the accolades of the business career, the cliff notes of it? Yeah. Well, you know, I was, I've always been very interested in entrepreneurship, I would say. I started my first company when I was 17, living, growing up in Kansas. And so we were close to Fort Leavenworth. I ended up selling software to the army for four years, which was really interesting. But that's really when I fell in love with like, I realized it wasn't so much the technology or the product, but building the business and getting people and empowering them and inspiring them. That's like what I really enjoy doing. And so I ended up like turning that into a business that I sold. And then in college, I had a word processing company that I sold and then moved into Silicon Valley where I built three other businesses that I sold. One to Apple that uh, ended up becoming part of iCloud, the technology did. And I got to help launch the iPhone and the iPad. And then I sold two others to Facebook actually over the following years and spent some time there. That was a really interesting time, especially because it was very early at the company up until they IPO'd. And then about four years ago, I would say I felt like I had been doing it, sort of building my own companies and doing this one at a time over and over and and, uh, eventually decided I wanted to see if I could do this in more than one place and also really start helping other people learn how to do this outside of just doing it myself. So I focused, shifted my focus to investing and that's when I started the Tin Man Group. And, you know, now we have investments all over the globe. Um, I work with a lot of the founders to help them to grow it. So we have several of those that are getting really big, a couple that have exited already with, you know, nine figures over $100 million exits. And so, you know, that's been really fun. And, and now we are focusing on acquiring companies as well. So, you know, getting to help founders find that actual exit, which is really, really hard, actually. What most people don't know is that you've spent, you can spend all this time building what you think is an incredible company. It is an incredible company, but finding somebody who's willing and able to pay for it and can get through the process with you is really, really tricky and hard. And so that's the part that now I'm kind of focused on helping people learn how to do with Tin Man Group. You know, I knew your story, but even hearing it again, I'm like, this guy's so cool. Teenage entrepreneur turned into business mogul sold to the behemoths of tech world, right? Facebook and Apple. I want to start with your journey in building and selling before going into helping others and acquiring and investing. When you reflect back on that journey, like, because I think a lot of people 
in their mind, they envision this grandiose journey of, I'm going to build, I'm going to sell. And I know one of the things we've spoken about is a lot of people struggle after the sale, but when you were in it and building it and you did it three times you know, concurrently, what are some of the things that just stick with you reflecting back on just the period of those years? You know, an investor of mine used to call the experience party hats and razor blades. That's the experience. It's, it's you're on this constant, you know, up and down where you'll come in and, and one day you think everything's like terrible in your business and you work hard and you fix it and you actually do make it a lot better. But then that just unlocks totally new opportunities, which then become new problems that you have to solve. And, you know, so I think that journey is that everybody goes on and is almost always surprised. We think of it as this like, kind of gradual uptick, but it's not. It's like a total roller coaster. And then when you get to the time to exit, oh my gosh, it's an entirely different set of problems because you know now a lot of what you're trying to do is get up, is is waiting on other people to make decisions and guiding them along the way. And so that can be its entirely different types of stress of having to learn how to be patient and how to develop options. And in some ways it's very different from a company where you want to eliminate uncertainty with uh, when you're selling, you kind of want to develop lots of optionality and so I think that's the kind of main thing I think about is, and one thing I love it is how much everything you do to solve the problems in your business and get to the next step just unlocks a new level. And it's always going to push you to develop you into somebody new and better and, and really push it. If for some reason, they'll always push you at your weak points. That's how everything's end up. I've never had a company where all of the problems happen to also align with my strengths. <laughs> it's always the other way around. I was walking with a friend yesterday. I told him, I said, I really feel like entrepreneurship at its core is a vessel for personal, professional, and spiritual growth. And I said, like a lot of people who don't have a spiritual outlook on it, they don't see the spiritual growth because they just see it's like pushing me in an area that I'm not strong at. But, you know, at the end of the day, like I do think when we step into any business, it naturally will trigger those areas of there's a gap, skill gap, mindset gap, emotional gap. And I really appreciate that you're also still acknowledging I did this several times, but like each time it, there's, it's still putting me through the ringer. You mentioned something that's interesting though. You said that when you go to sell, you have to give away that certainty and go through you know, what I'll call the due diligence process and that whole, whole spiel. When it comes to founders that want to sell, you've done this five times, five, six times. It sounds like six if you include like the high school um, experience. You've done it so much where you know what to expect now going into the sale, but you're giving up certainty as well. What are some things that happen in a sale process and due diligence that surprises founders that are, for the fir- that are going through it for the first time? Yeah, I think there's two things that really jump to mind for me. Like one thing that's surprising to everybody that I that I've been through this process with is that you know you build your you spend most of your time building a business that's going to generate cash flow that's going to be around so you're thinking about your company as this sort of cash flow generating machine that's yours right and and you have certain things that you value about that the person that's buying your company oftentimes has completely different things that they value and so they see your company in a very very different way and so you know they might be looking at it as just cash flow a business they could bolt on to something else that they have or 
They might see some strategic value to it, or they may just be a PE fund. They want to get cash out of it, optimize it, and you know, sell it off to the next guy. Like you know, you have to really get into the head of the buyer because they're going to think about your company very, very differently than you. And then the other thing I think is really surprising to people is you work really hard. You'll find a buyer, you'll get to an agreement with them, and then it's easy to think, well, the deal is done. But actually, what happens next is that both of you are going to go hire lawyers. You're going to hire accounting firms. And you're basically going to ask them to tell you all the reasons why you should not do the deal. And that's what the buyer is going to do as well. And that's kind of part of the process, right? We're trying to make sure that we've properly understood all of the different trade-offs and things that will have to happen to get it closed. And sometimes it can feel really negative because you're going to have all these hard questions somebody's going to ask about you. But you know, you have to like be able to take that without getting defensive about it and learn to enjoy the kind of riot on the way out because you will definitely feel... Like you have earned your exit when you get there. Like it is a job to actually get through that process and, and just be ready for it, right? Because it's part of the reward also of what makes it feel like you really earn that money when you get it. It's interesting. It's, it's really highlighting to your point. When you actually sell, there is so much that you're not anticipating on due diligence. I even heard from, for everyone that's looking, you know, Alex Ramosi, he was saying for him, acquiring businesses is... I need to get to know the fastest, right? Typically, when you're building, it's getting to yes. When you're acquiring or selling, it's can we get to know and get that out of the way if we're not aligned. You said that when you're selling, it's what's important is getting inside your acquirer's head. Like which business number, right? You don't have to name the business, but at which point did you realize that was part of the sale game? I think I think probably my second or third time I had an exit, and each one was very different, right? So I had. I had an exit that I sold just the assets. I had an exit that was sort of an aqua hire and we had a side deal with technology sharing. It was a whole separate thing. I had another exit that was buying the whole business. And in each case, the motivation of the seller was completely different. We could talk about some of those, but you know, you really have to like, each one is going to be its own special thing. And the reason why someone will buy this business is going to be its own special thing. So, you know, it's never like cookie cutter, but the overall process is the same where you have to manage psychology of people, like you said, needing to decide if they're going to get to know before they get to a yes. And just that's the same no matter what, but it requires a lot of patience and, and willingness to kind of go through the process with them. So when you learned that on your second or third time around, how did that change your approach going into the fourth or fifth sale now that you knew that? Yeah, I'll tell you the biggest thing, and it led to a huge increase in my exit value was I realized that actually the most important thing about a sale is keeping everybody involved. I call it on the level, like feeling good about the thing, not worried about the process. And that includes not just the buyer, but also if you have bankers involved, if you have a board, if you have key employees, because you know those employees are going to go along with the deal and the buyer wants to know that they're excited to go along with the deal. So, and they're going to be thinking about what happens to them and their exit. So you know, what I did, and now I will, will help encourage for any of my other companies when they exit, is I actually brought in my leadership team very early, and I started to run a process where I'm very transparent with everybody. I make it clear to everyone that there's, you know, that part of this process is opening up lots of options, and we don't know what the answer is, and I don't know the pathway, but we're just, we have to trust the process. And then making sure there are some people around the table who've been through it before, like advisors or whatever, they can tell people kind of like, this is normal or not normal. That's actually a really good secret as a seller because your hardest challenge as a seller 
is going to be once you've decided to do it, keeping everybody feeling like they're in a level place, that they're not, you know, tilting in one way or the other so that they'll get with you through the process, which involves a lot of uncertainty. Scaling your agency month over month is hard. You have to work on delivery and worry about retention and sales, appointments, managing your team, and so much more. I was able to grow a multi seven-figure business and remove myself completely from the day-to-day operation. If you want to do the same, I will show you the exact process I followed to hit the $2 million per year run rate and completely remove myself from the operation. If you want to build the dream business and live the life of your dreams, go to eightfigureagency.co forward slash value. I will show you how to build a business that can grow and operate without needing you. Once again, this is eightfigureagency.co forward slash value, and I will give you my best training ever for free. And the thing you said about that, that is actually surprising for me on the front end of that statement as a preface, increased the valuation. Why? does that lead to increased valuation? And like from a percentage point, like how much is that really moving the needle too? Because that's actually super surprising for me to hear. I think in that instance, it probably doubled our valuation on exit because we were able to push ourselves from one type of exit to another. We can talk about what I mean by that. There's basically different reasons people will buy your company and that will lead to different valuations. We were able to get to kind of the highest valuation, which is a strategic exit primarily for technology and some for product reasons. And, you know, a big part of that was because I brought my team in pretty early. And so the the buyers got a really good sense of what they were getting. It wasn't just having to talk with me. It was, you know, all the leadership that they were going to get in. Also, my leadership team and my board were not as nervous. And, you know, one of the things that happens when you're negotiating at a high stakes deal like this, the rule of thumb is that a deal will die three times before it actually closes. Like people will walk away. And it's really hard when someone's saying, we'll pay you a hundred million dollars for your business to go, not enough. <laughs> you know, pound sand. That's not enough for me. I, I, I think it's worth more if you really believe it is. And for that, you need everybody on your side to have a lot of fortitude. And so that was probably the biggest factor because everyone had been brought along, because we had good advisors around the table, you know, we were able to hold on. And basically what I did I also trusted my team a lot because they had a lot of context on everything that was going on, right? So I kind of didn't really know what price we would sell for. I just kept saying no until my team told me that they couldn't take it anymore. And then that was when, that was when we finally said yes. And that was a really great process because, again, it brought everyone along, kept them on the level, and that's eventually what pushed our price up. That's actually fascinating. And that's something I'm going to like keep in the archives there. So you've built and sold a bunch and you made a transition into investing. I know you're investing in a series of different companies. Do you have a industry or rhyme or reason of the industries you go after or is it just strictly the financials that have to make sense? Like, What is your process? Because I know you're, you're acquiring agencies. You told me about there was a software company for like real estate and I know there's a bunch of other I'm not conscious of too. Like, What is your methodology for seeking out acquisitions and also, why? What inspires you to do it? Because like, it's not like you have to, right? It's conscious choice all the time. Yeah. 
It's a great question. So the way we describe it is we're looking for profitable businesses that we can transform with technology into industry leaders. So my background's in technology. And I think as a general rule, when money was basically free the last decade or so, a lot of money from investors and paper value that was created went into technology platforms. So we're trying to build the biggest theoretical asset that we can. But now I think especially with the advent of things like ChatGPT, we're entering into a new phase where the application of technology to real businesses providing services to real customers is where we're going to create a lot of value. And also, I think it's an area where I have an edge because I know about how that process works. And I've spent the last four years teaching companies how to use technology that are not in Silicon Valley. So teaching people who have not grown up or haven't been in an environment where this is sort of like a known thing how to incorporate it. We've done it very successfully. So, you know, that's really kind of our guiding light. We tend to look at B2B focused companies, services type businesses or hybrid service and product businesses. And digital marketing, I think is just a perfect example. I mean, it's being totally transformed with AI right now. There's new channels that are emerging all the time. And it's an area that tends to be very people heavy, but is also very friendly. If you do really good product work on it, and if you do And that allows you to automate. You can actually drive those margins up and create a very sustainable business that's making customers really happy. So, or proving your value to the customer, that's even more important. So, you know, we started looking into marketing in that space. We also want to use it for the rest of our portfolio. That's why we started there. But, you know, there's a lot of other things we'll get into. Back office support, we're doing some stuff in medical. So there's a lot of other places that we can go with this idea. But that's kind of what guides it. It's so interesting because I think... I heard a quote recently that said, you know, at a certain point, all companies become portfolio companies. Like it's not a, if you stay in the game and you continue to grow at that point, you're going to have so much cash where it's like, where you're going to put the cash back into your business, or it's going to be the opportunity cost is higher by investing it elsewhere. When you think about your portfolio, how do you assess between all the, because, you know, there's an abundance of options. How do you assess, right? Where to allocate your capital, right? Between all the different businesses and assets that you're acquiring over four years and over a 10-year horizon, like everything comes with an opportunity cost of time, energy, resources, dollars. Like what is your process that you're actually putting businesses through that make it worth your while? Yeah. The number one thing we look for is people and the team. That kind of gives you a sense of where the potential is for the business. It's less about what they do right now and more about is this the type of team that's like that's hungry, that's willing to learn and grow, that has a desire to make this as big as it can be, or, or whatever their desire is, that tends to be where the company can go to. And so we look at the investment based on that. And then I think the second part of it is, do we think we have an edge? Do we add something that not everybody else can add here? Because I think there's a lot of people out there with money that would love to buy companies and build portfolios or whatever. But you know, the place where I've seen big returns is where I go into something that I know I have something unique to add, a unique point of view or something like that. So, you know, I've been doing AI for 20 years. I've been building tech companies for 25 years. You've got to think about, do we do something unique for this business that we can't, they can't find anywhere else? That's how we turn it into an industry leader. And you recently said at the start of this conversation, you recently had a a larger exit. The company grew to, one of your portfolio companies grew over hundred million. What's that like as an investor where... I would imagine that's your first big win. Like being on the opposite side, you're not in the trenches of that company. You're kind of on the sidelines or you're up in the box seats rather. You're up in the box seats of watching this company. What's that been like as an investor 
seeing one of your companies really grow like that. I mean, it's really exciting. I think what's the, the most exciting part of it, it's nice to like put in some money and then get back like, you know, 20 or 50x that money, right? Which has happened a few times. The thing though, that's most rewarding is actually seeing how the leaders, the founders and the other leaders develop at these businesses. Cause that's where, that's where we te- tend to get involved, right? Like my job isn't to come in and know your business better than you. Cause I can't, I mean, I've been on those positions too, as CEO where the, fa- the investor wants to come in and everything looks easy because they're not in the weeds, but we can definitely help people think about things in the right way and help them kind of reflect on their own needs. And then they come out as much more mature and capable entrepreneurs themselves, right? Like I want to find good quality people and help them kind of have the same kind of career I've had, right? Where they develop into better and better people as well as better entrepreneurs as a result. So that's the biggest reward. You know, watching people cross that line, they've made a bunch of money now. Now they're thinking about how they're going to have bigger impact. And, you know, then you get to think about really big things with them, which is, which is really exciting. I think the most important thing as you're an entrepreneur and you grow over time is learning how to turn that into a community exercise and not just focus on yourself, but also how to make everybody else better around you. It actually gets a lot easier to succeed if you start spending a lot more time on helping the people around you versus just trying to advance your own cause. That's probably one of the biggest lessons I've had to learn over time is is if I focus primarily on that, I tend to get better results, even if it's a little bit less predictable to me because, you know, other people are making a lot of decisions, but in the end, we get much better results. Yeah. And I feel like that's the team effect, right? And it doesn't matter if it's business or sport, the best teams with the best support, right? You so often hear about it in professional sports. It was a really good, there's really good camaraderie. There's really good chemistry and that's what led to success. So Charles, I know this was a shorter conversation. I would love to keep going for a full hour because I could, I could just go on and on, but I'm so grateful to one, have you in my life. I, every time I talk to you, I'm like, man, this guy is so cool. I'm like, I really enjoy just hearing everything about your perspective. And then two, I'm extremely excited to have you coming to ADEF Live to be our keynote for anyone that might be considering. Do you have anything to say to them that like, shit, like here's, here's why you should come to ADEF Live. Here's what I'll be talking about. Well, you know, uh, something I've discovered as I've been talking, I've probably talked to 100 digital marketing and just marketing agencies in this last year. You know, one thing I've really has jumped out at me is how many people just pour their heart and soul into building this agency and they're so proud of it. And then they're coming to the time where they're ready to get to an exit. But that's an entirely different experience. And you have to learn how the buyer thinks. You have to learn how to, you know, kind of bring your team along, right? And, you know, people just don't have that knowledge and it really puts them at a disadvantage when they're dealing with other people who deal, do this all the time when they're buying all sorts of companies. And so I think, you know, one of the things I was, reason I was excited to come to this when you invited me, Jordan, is I'd love to get more people on the selling side, more of these agency owners to understand what they're getting into so they can be successful at it. And so I think you'll get a lot of those tools if you come to the event. I love it. Well, Charles, thank you so much. I will talk to you very soon and you have a wonderful afternoon. You too. What is good, agency owners? Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you are looking for support growing your agency and are not sure the best way to do that, go to eightfigureagency.co 
forward slash call, where you will book a call with us and we will start our process to help you figure out what is the best way to grow your business. We're going to review your systems, add value, and help you understand a new model and system that you can start to build that is going to easily enable massive growth this year. Once again, that is eightfigureagency.co forward slash call, where we will help you scale your agency and add $10,000 in MRR per month. Cheers.